I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Three, two, one. But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Look at me. Earnhardt Jr. Everybody Kirk episode eight, is on the phone. Six, eight, 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 I hope everybody had a great New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, and I hope you enjoyed two crazy college football playoff games, and that is what today's show is all about. I don't know if we're going to go 15 minutes, I don't know if we're going to go 45 minutes, but today's show is all about breaking down those two college football playoff semifinals, Michigan, Alabama in overtime, Texas, Washington comes down to the final play. Both games come down to the final play. We get two classics for all the talk about who was in, who was out, who should have been in, who shouldn't have been in. We just got two unbelievable semifinals, and we're going to break them all down here. Uh, You know, listen, New Year, I'm not going to do, you know, there's no real news or notes, so let's not beat around the bush. You guys and girls were up until 2 a.m. Eastern time watching that Texas-Washington game. Let's not waste any more time. Let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, bluntly, look, I I think you could really honestly lead with either of these games. Like I said, two classics, two that came down to the final play of the game. As consumers of college football, you can't ask for anything else. But I will. I'll go ahead and start with the Michigan-Alabama game. With no disrespect to Texas or Washington, this was the game that I think more people, I think everybody was looking forward to Alabama-Michigan. Two huge brands, helmet game, Harbaugh versus Saban, SEC versus Big Ten. That is the future of this sport. Um, You know, I was lucky enough, by the way, to be at the first half of this game. Went to Fox Sports Radio, did the postgame show after, so I couldn't stay until the end. But a crazy game. I don't know if you'd call it a classic with all of the miscues, but we certainly got a classic ending. And when I look at this game, first thing that stands out, I don't think you can say that either team played anything close to their best football. And I think no matter how it happened, there was one team that felt like they gave the game away, could have won. 
In this case, it was obviously Alabama. Michigan, of course, I think everybody knows by now, but they win in overtime. What was the final score? 27-20, I think, was the final score. In terms of the game, and it, that was the final score, by the way. In terms of the game, I mean, listen, the, the, the kind of the story of the game, again, great ending, but it was, that was, wasn't it like weirdly very sloppy, especially early? You have a situation where on the opening play of the game, J.J. McCarthy throws an interception. You have two muffed punts by Michigan. You have a missed PAT by Michigan, a missed field goal by Michigan. Alabama, Jalen Milrow, a fumble because he's carrying the ball in the wrong hand on the outside when he should have been. You get the point. Snapping issues from Alabama. Weird game, crazy game. But ultimately, what I thought this game came down to was ironically, in my opinion, the story of each team's season played out late. Michigan finding a way, but also Alabama from the their perspective, the final the final play, the final moment of their season coming down to Jalen Milrow with the ball in his hands. And so let's dive in. Let's just listen. We could beat around the bush. We I always say it. We could do at the eleven minute mark of the second quarter. They ran a toss sweep, and what does that mean? Back to you in the boat, like. That's not what we do on this show. Let's not waste any more time. To me, the game came down to the final few minutes. Weird game, by the way. Michigan, I thought, largely dominated the first half to the surprise of a lot of people. Not me. I picked Michigan to win, but that's neither here nor there. Um, Michigan largely dominated the game. Then from, from dominated the first half, I should say. Then from about the beginning of the third till about four minutes to go, Alabama is in complete control. I don't know what Nick Saban and Tommy Reese did at halftime, but they took control of that game. But really, again, the story was the final few minutes. From the Michigan side of things, this is who they are. This is what they've been about all year. Resilience, perseverance, finding a way late in games. Penn State, you go back to that game, struggled early. What do they do? They run the ball 32, 33, 34, whatever it was, straight times to finish that game and seal that victory. Ohio State, that long drive late in the game, seal the victory. J.J. McCarthy throwing across his body, you get the first down. And then this game, what ends up happening? You miss the field goal about six, seven minutes to go. You think it's over. You get a defensive stop. You convert a fourth down. You convert a play to Roman Wilson in which the ball is tipped and he kind of catches it with one hand and you're like, how the heck did he do that? But they find a way, they get into the end zone, they force overtime, uh, and they find a way. From the Alabama perspective, let's just dive in. Because to me, I thought that the ending of this game was very emblematic of their season as well. If you've watched Alabama, listen, we, we've talked about it on this show time and time and time again. Part of the reason that I liked Michigan to win this game, and I'm not saying it to brag and Torres tried to tell you and Aaron Wright and blah, blah, blah. No. Part of the reason I liked Alabama to win this game was because we knew their limitations. We knew their strengths and weaknesses. We knew that they don't have an elite wide receiver on this team. We knew that, oh, by the way, Jace McClellan, unless you're an Alabama fan or a college football junkie that watches every minute of every game, you don't know who Jace McClellan is. You don't know who Justice Haynes is. The stars of this Alabama team were Jalen Milrow, And the defense. And so it's funny because, you know, I saw a lot of pushback on the final play call. Thought it was interesting. After the game, Nick Saban basically said, look, we didn't have a final play. We had three final plays. 
We thought we were lined up in something really good. Michigan calls a timeout. Then we were lined up in something that I wasn't so sure about, so I called a timeout. Then we lined up in something. We had to run the play. There were no more timeouts, and uh, they made a great play. And so it's interesting because I see a lot of people, oh, you know, how is that the final play call? And I get it. I'm not even saying that I necessarily disagree with you. Now, I'm not smart enough to, uh, you know, I'm not smart enough to 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 tell Nick Saban that he was wrong or Tommy Reese that he was wrong. And I, I'm not I'm not enough of an X's and O's expert to know if they were. But why I didn't have a problem with the play call, even though you run it up the middle, could you have maybe gone to the edge? Could you have maybe done the Vince Young in the Rose Bowl, try to find the corner of the end zone? I don't know. But what I do know is their whole season was defined by Jalen Milrow making plays, making big throws with his arm, making huge throws with his legs. And so because of that, I just go back to the most simple concept of college football, right? The idea that in the biggest moments, you want the the ball in the hands of your best playmakers. Think about the iconic defensive stops in football history. Uh, You know, Seattle on the goal line against New England. What are we complaining about? You should have just given the ball to Marshawn Lynch. Ironically for Pete Carroll, that Vince Young National Championship game that I just told you about. If you remember, there was a moment when USC had a fourth down opportunity late in the game. Reggie Bush is on the sidelines. They don't give the ball to Reggie Bush. They don't give the ball to number five. And so I just bring it up because I can't get mad at Alabama because it didn't work because ultimately you put the ball in your best player's hands. The guy who defined your season And on this particular play, he couldn't make a play. Quickly, um, you know, in the bigger picture of the game, outside of how it went down and all that stuff, two things stand out about these two teams. From the Alabama side, I'll just be blunt. This does not change my opinion of what I have said about Alabama all season long. I still, I believe this is Nick Saban's best coaching job of his time at Alabama. And I believe he squeezed every ounce that he could have out of this team. Listen, I know if you're an Alabama fan, uh, you're frustrated, you're disappointed. Every single uh, year that doesn't end in a national championship is a disappointment. I think it's this one's especially frustrating because the story goes, for people who don't know it, uh, every player that has played for Nick Saban over the course of three years, if, if you make it to your junior year, You have won a national championship. That's maybe the craziest Nick Saban stat ever. But coming into this game, 2020 was the last time that Alabama won a national championship. Poor poor Alabama, you feel terrible for. But that was the story. Every single junior class had won at least one national championship. And so I know it's disappointing that you can't get these juniors that ring, that national title. But I think you also have to look at this from the holistic view of the entire season. Remember, this was a year. You're coming off maybe the most disappointing season of the Nick Saban era a year ago when you can't get to the playoff with the number one and number three picks in the draft, Bryce Young and Will Anderson. Don't beat LSU. Don't beat Tennessee. Don't go to the playoff. Don't compete for a national championship. And so you have that disappointing year. You replace both coordinators. You don't know who is going to replace Bryce Young at quarterback to the point that essentially, again, that 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 that, that quarterback competition went into the season. They did not have the answer. Think about it. Michael Penix transfers to Washington two years ago. Day one, he's been the starter for the last two years. Quinn Ewers has started, you know, when he's not hurt, basically every single game. J.J. McCarthy has started essentially every game in the last two years after taking the job from Cade McNamara. 
Alabama literally did not know who their starting quarterback was in week three of this season. That tells you everything you need to know. And so I know I've said it before, but you go back to that Texas game. You go back to that South Florida game. When they played three different quarterbacks, you said, this might be Saban's worst team ever. This might be a seven and five type team. And they just keep getting better, keep getting better, keep finding ways. Beat it, what, what ended up being a 10-win Ole Miss team. Beat a Texas A&M team in which you essentially, um, in which you essentially this A&M team, you basically got Jimbo Fisher fired. I mean, let's just say it. You beat a really good, uh, uh, they, they were okay. You beat the Heisman Trophy winner, let me put it that way, in LSU. And most importantly, you beat Georgia in the SEC title game. Again, two-time Randy National Champion. The team that everybody is trying to say, your dynasty is over, their dynasty has begun. You are a second-class citizen in your league. No, 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 no. You win the SEC, you make it to the college football playoff, and that's maybe the biggest picture of all to me. In a year that I don't think anybody thought you had, uh, you know, just what I just said. Didn't know who your quarterback was until about week four. Um, you, you don't have, in my opinion, elite wide receivers. You don't have, in my opinion, an elite O-line, although they played well in the third and fourth quarters on Monday night. You were still a play away from potentially going to play for a national championship. So that tells me that Saban did everything he could. From the Michigan perspective, listen, I, I, I know I keep banging home this point. We just, at some point, we got to give this team credit, right? Think about, this team is really two things. One, I don't think they've gotten enough credit all year. And two, they are just the most resilient team I've ever seen. From the not enough credit all year, right? What, what every single thing about them has been negative. Every single thing about them has been questioned. Played an easy out-of-conference schedule. Well, how good are they? Beat a bunch of bad Big Ten teams. Well, how good are they? Jim Harbaugh finally comes back. They finally get some momentum. Then the Connor Stallion stuff happens. And I don't. we don't need to relitigate the whole Connor Stallion stuff. But it becomes an indictment on the entire program. They're overrated. They're only winning because they're cheating. I saw this video on the internet and Connor Stallions whispered into the defensive coordinator's ear. They must have known the play. Uh, yeah, maybe they were just ru- running a pass play because it was third and seven. Not everything is the craziest scandal that's ever been, been existing, you know, but but that you get to the Penn State game. They're doubted. They show up. They don't know who their head coach is. They show they beat everyone saying maybe Ohio State, this is the year. They get to the playoff. They're the number one seed. Alabama, everybody thinks Alabama's going to win. And they find a way. And so I look at this team and I am just amazed by them. Because I thought even in the playoff, you finally get to the playoff. And you're still not getting credit. Maybe it's because I was at media stuff all week with Alabama and Michigan. But you listen to the narratives that are coming out. It's like, well, I mean, how good are they really? Those Big Ten offenses are terrible. I think that their defense is overrated. It's like, okay, maybe the defense is overrated. But maybe they also played the statistically the three best defenses in college football this year outside of themselves. Ohio State, we could criticize whatever. Their defense is amazing. NFL dudes everywhere. Penn State, NFL dudes everywhere. Don't look at what that happened against Ole Miss. They had three, four, five players opt out. Iowa, elite defense all year. And so I felt like this team was continued to be doubted, continued to be doubted, and they persevered. And in the bigger picture, listen, we'll give a national championship pick sometime this week, but this is also why I have always been a believer in this team. I've said it a million times. I can't ever remember a team 
overcoming more adversity and just letting everything roll off their shoulders quite like this Michigan team. You go back to two off seasons ago. I've said it a million times. Forgive me. Jim Harbaugh interviewed for a head coaching job on national signing day. Imagine being a parent of a player that's about to sign letter of intent. Supposed to be the happiest day of their lives. And your coach is interviewing for the Minnesota Vikings job. And so you look at that moment in time. You look at the fact that, um, you know, you look at the fact that 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 team overcame the whispers and the rumors and the innuendo. You look at the fact that last offseason, Jim Harbaugh flirted with everybody. You know, it's like it's like, uh, you know, the, the, the home alone, too. Yeah, I saw you here last night. You were smooching with everybody. Bodie Bob Cliff. I could go on forever, baby. That was Jim Harbaugh last offseason. Panthers, he talked with, Broncos, he talked with, and it just rolls off this team's shoulders. And so to me, this year, the Connor Stallion stuff, we'll wrap with that. Everyone's questioning him. Everyone's this, everyone's that. You go to Penn State, you don't know who your head coach is. Your head coach gets suspended. He ends up not coaching Penn State, not coaching Ohio State. You find a way, and you do the you, you do it again on, on Monday and get the win against Alabama. Lastly, let me just say this. Um, I've mentioned Connor Stallions in passing a few times. I hope, I think, this game, in my opinion, should probably end any Connor Stallions conversation. I think it really should have ended against Penn State and Ohio State. It's like if at this point, if you can't appreciate this team, and I know there's certain media members, certain this, certain that, that, you know, play up the they cheated, they this, they that, they blah, 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 blah. It's like, no, no, no. There was no Connor Stallions since the middle of the season. No Jim Harbaugh for the Penn State game. One. No Jim Harbaugh for the Ohio State game. One. No Connor Stallions for the Alabama game. One. At some point, we just have to acknowledge this is a great team and a great program. And now they're headed to Houston to play for a national championship. So what we'll do, take a quick break. Come back. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Michigan-Texas side of things. Another instant classic. And I'll tell you what. If America did not know the name Michael Penix, they know it now. Quick break. Be right back. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, everybody. All right, back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Uh, final segment of the show. So good to be back. Let's go ahead and get to the second semifinal. And before we break down the game, let me just start by saying this. You know who the real MVP of Texas Washington was? On Monday night in New Orleans Sugar Bowl, it was you. Yes, you, America, staying up until 2 a.m. Eastern time on New Year's Day 
first day of the year, you know, I, I know you're all struggling today here on a Tuesday in the office. You wanted 2024 to be different. You're going to get to the gym. You're going to get to the office early. This is the year things change. And then Texas, Washington had us up until 2 a.m. Eastern time. But what's also crazy about this game, I was thinking about this, is that when the four teams were announced, wh whether you agree the committee got it right or not, I think we, we all thought we were going to at the very least get two really good games. That's exactly what we got. But we also got the games that we thought we were going to get. Michigan, Alabama, line of scrimmage, physical, mean, tough, whatever. And then Washington, Texas, it goes without saying, just a back-and-forth shootout. Washington wins on the final play. Great play by the defensive back, by the way. 37-31 is the final score. And when I think about Texas, Washington, listen, there's nothing else for me to say other than that. There is, in my opinion, just one story and one story only. This was the national coming-out party for Michael Penix. And if you did not know the name before, there is no way you do not know it now. So listen, let me start by saying this. Like, I think there's a lot of people that sit there and say, Torres, how what do you mean nobody knows who Michael Penix is? He was a Heisman Trophy finalist. Washington was undefeated. They won the Pac-12. What I'd say is, you know, first of all, calm down. It's it's January, it's January 2nd. Don't need all that anger in 2024. <laughs> but what I, but but why I bring it up is because listen, I love college football. If you listen to this show, you love college football. I'm not arguing that. And I think certainly people have seen, even the casuals have seen Michael Penix in passing, right? They've seen him for a quarter or two against Oregon. The diehards watched Oregon, Utah, whatever. But the casuals probably watched a little bit of the Oregon game. Probably watched maybe even more of the Pac-12 championship game. But this was a national stage, 20 plus million people. You know, the, the the NFL viewers are tuning in. You get 20, 25, 30 million people. We'll see what the final numbers are, but the national semifinals on New Year's Day have historically rated insanely. And I just don't think there is any way that if you love football, you weren't watching that game. And that's why this was the national coming out party. Not just because Michael Penix was in this game. But because I thought he played, you could argue, maybe the greatest game in the history of the college football playoff semifinals. First of all, statistically, it's certainly there. 430 yards passing. Uh, finished, I think, well, I want to make sure I get the stats right so I don't trip up here. Final stats for Michael Penix. 430 yards passing was the second most in any college football playoff semifinal. Only Joe Burrow against a bad, bad, bad Oklahoma defense had more total yardage. 29 of 38, 11 yards per completion. And if you watch that game, I mean, he just made some of the most beautiful, perfect throws that you have ever seen. There was a touchdown pass. I swear it was a dart from about the 30-yard line. I swear he threw it between like three defenders. It was insane. It was one of the most beautiful throws I've ever seen until later in the game. He hits Roma Den, Adunze, Adenze, however you say the name. I'm always tripping up over that name. He hits a, a beautiful over-the-shoulder throw. And the crazy part was Washington needed Michael Penix to be great in this game, and he was. Now, in terms of how it ended, let's get to that. Because what was wild about this one, Michigan-Alabama was back and forth. I said it a minute ago. Michigan dominated early. Alabama dominated the probably the middle, you know, 75% of the, the game, you know, the, not the middle 75%, but the 70, probably they dominated about 75% of the second half. That's probably how I should say it. And then obviously Michigan closes out the win. 
What was wild about the Washington game, Washington was in complete control until they weren't, right? It wasn't the craziest ending ever. So for people who did not stay up, I'm assuming most of you did. But it was wild because Washington gets the ball back. What is it, about a minute, a minute 10, something like that? Texas has two timeouts. So Washington smartly, unlike Mike McCarthy on Saturday night for the Dallas Cowboys, by the way, but smartly Washington runs a runs a play on uh, first down, runs the football. Texas calls a timeout. Second play, Washington runs the football, calls a, Texas calls a timeout. Third play, Texas is out of timeouts. Washington runs the ball up the middle. And unfortunately, their star running back, Dylan Johnson, got hurt. Now, it was crushing because he is a very good player, but it was also crushing because it stopped the clock. So all of a sudden, Texas doesn't have a timeout. They're going to get the ball back with whatever, 20, 22, 23 seconds left. Now they're getting the ball back with 50 seconds and a chance to really drive the length of the field. Now, before we get to the final possession, let me start by saying this. Much like the Nick Saban final play, I've seen a lot of criticism of Kalen DeBoer there, the head coach at Washington, of like, why didn't you just take a knee and punt the football? Because again, if you take a knee, you avoid injury risk, right? So again, Texas has no timeouts. They can't stop the clock. The only way the clock stops is if there's an injury. Now, one, I would argue that it's dumb that you stop the clock for injury, although I guess there's really nothing you can do. But two, like I I saw that pushback on social media. I think it's easy to be a social media armchair analyst Have you ever actually seen a coach just take a knee with 50 seconds to go? I've never seen it unless the other team doesn't have a time. Even when the team doesn't have timeouts, if you're going to have to punt the ball, I've never seen a coach just take a knee. I've never seen it. I've seen you take a knee when the time's when clock's about to expire. I've seen you take a knee with 50 seconds left. If there's no timeouts and it's second down and you could just take back to back knees and the game's over. Never seen a coach take a knee knowing that they're going to have to punt eventually. So it was weird to me to see the reaction, but obviously, look, Texas gets the ball back with 50 seconds to go, Um, you know, two incompletions for Quinn Ewers. Then he hits a beautiful deep ball, sets up a red zone situation. They're in the red zone, couple plays, final play, one second left. First of all, that was the crazy part, right? There was the play that the, 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 the clock shows final, but, but nobody's running on the field to celebrate. Steve Sarkeesian sitting there with his play sheet. So you're sitting there saying, wait a second, I think there's a play left. There is one play. Quinn Ewers, right corner of the end zone, batted away by the defensive back, played perfectly, no penalty, no controversy. I don't think anybody felt like there was a penalty on the play, and Washington wins. When I look at the big picture of the game, a couple things stand out. One, I know I said it a minute ago, I think you can argue that that was the greatest single individual performance in a college football playoff game that we have ever ever seen from a quarterback from Michael Penix because I was thinking about this. So Joe Burrow statistically was better. 474. No, Joe Burrow had 493 yards, seven touchdowns for LSU against Oklahoma. Okay. Like, like that is so absurd. You can't even contextualize it. And by the way, when you have Jamar chase, you have Justin Jefferson that helps not saying that Joe Burrow wasn't great. And also not saying that 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 Washington and Michael Penix doesn't have maybe three NFL wide receivers around him as well. But at the same time, what stood out to me, what's different about this game, by the way, there were other great performances, right? Trevor Lawrence that year against Alabama in the national championship game was unbelievable. But I bring it up because can you ever remember a performance this good where his team needed him to make all those plays, right? Joe Burrow, they beat Oklahoma 63 to, I think it was 63 to 28. And the 28 came late. I mean, I think at one point it was like 56 to seven. 
and LSU basically let his let their foot off the gas. Okay, but I just bring it up because LSU offense was great, defense was great. They were facing an overmatched opponent. Point blank, end of story. And so Joe Burrow was great, but Michael Penix they needed him to be great on every single play, every single possession. By the way, same with Trevor Lawrence, right? Trevor Lawrence against Alabama. I think people forget. Yes, Clemson won. Yes, Trevor Lawrence was amazing. But guess what? Clemson had an insane defense. Uh, uh, Dexter Lawrence was on that team. Clellan Farrell. I forget the other guy. Christian Wilkins. Guy who just got a penalty for the Dolphins the other day. Shout out producer Matt. Uh, produces this show. He's a big Dolphins fan. I know he's not going to forget uh, uh, that play against Dallas a few weeks ago. But I just bring it up because of the fact that like LSU was great across the board. And Joe Burrow happened to be great. Clemson was great across the board. And Trevor Lawrence happened to be great. Washington needed Michael Penix to be great. And that's why, in my opinion, that might be the best college football playoff semifinal performance that I've ever seen for sure. Maybe college football playoff performance, period. Um, bigger picture, let me also say this. Noah also deserves a ton of credit. Do, do we know anything about Kalen DeBoer? Okay, so Kalen DeBoer is the Washington head coach. And I'll be honest. I think I love college football about as much as anybody i try to study i try to know everything i try to be smart when i come on this show if you're going to spend your time listening to me it's my job to be educated and informed and hopefully entertaining whether you think i'm entertaining or not whether you think i'm annoying or not one thing i need to be is is informed okay but i just bring it up because if kaylin deboer i was thinking about this if kaylin deboer was sitting next to me on an airplane I don't think I know who he was. Like, 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 like he could be a, a, you know, he could be an insurance salesman from Des Moines. He could be a, a, a Wall Street guy. He could be a, a pediatrician from uh, from Texarkana. I don't know. Like, like he just has the most unassuming personality. But all this guy does is win. First of all, let me start by saying this. Okay, have you seen this guy's resume? So, for people who don't know his background. He played at an NIA, NAIA school, Sioux Falls, Sioux Falls. I don't know if it's a college, if it's a university, whatever, in South Dakota. He ends up becoming the head coach here, there. I want to read to you his five seasons as head coach at Sioux Falls, okay? Five seasons, he goes 11-2, and two, gets to the national semifinals. Year two, he goes 14-0, and 0, wins the national championship. Year three, 13-1, plays for a national championship, loses. 14 and 0 national champion, 15 and 0 national champion. This guy went 67 at three over the course of a five-year run at an NAIA school. Let, let, let me let me just say, 80s. We have administrators and and people that work in college sports that listen to this show. Can I give you a piece of advice? If a guy goes 67 and three. Over a five-year stretch, just hire him. I don't care the level. I don't care whatever. As a matter of fact, I think you can argue it's more impressive at the NAI level because I've I, I've did, done a little reading. I think he had like one full-time assistant coach when he was the head coach at Sioux Falls. That coach, by the way, I think was Ryan Grubb, who is still with him to this day. Nick Saban tried to hire him last offseason. So this guy is unbelievable. It takes him, how about this? He leaves Sioux Falls in 2009. It takes him until 2020 to get another head coaching job. By the way, 2009, he was 35 years old, already had three natties under his belt. Not bad. So again, he doesn't get another head coaching job until 2020, starts winning at Fresno, goes to Washington. I just think it's one of the coolest stories ever, and I'm just here to say this. 
I think you could already argue here in 2023, after two years at Washington, he goes 11 and two in year one. He is now 14 and 0 playing for a national championship in year two. I think you could argue that he is already one of the best coaches in college football because I watch that team and I know they play a lot of close games and a lot of this, a lot of that. I don't care. By the way, I think a lot of their games were close because again, they play in bad weather. It's rainy. It's cold. It's windy. This ain't, uh, you know, this ain't, uh, I'm not going to pick on any specific SEC school, but like the weather that they're playing in, the conditions that they're playing in, they're just so, so, so different than what a lot of schools have to deal with. But when I think about this guy, like, I, I just think about his teams, and every time I watch them, they are so well-prepared. They don't beat themselves. I think he does as good a job as anybody, and I'm not a scheme expert, X and X's and O's expert, okay? But I think he does as good of a job as anybody in terms of you know, heightening his team's strengths and limiting their weaknesses. Like, I thought it was very obvious early in the Texas game that he knew they could not run the ball against the front. Texas is front. So what does he do? He just throws a bunch of swing passes out there, and that's basically their run game, short passes to the running back. And so I look at this guy. He's unbelievable. I I, I don't know where he ranks and who he like, – he's in the short conversation though, right? I mean, I think if Jim Harbaugh goes to, goes to the NFL, I, I think Sharon Moore is probably going to get the job. Brian Kelly, I think, maybe wants the job. I would just offer Kalen DeBoer that twelve the twelve million that you raised for Jim Harbaugh. I just offer that to I just offer that to Kalen DeBoer. I don't think he'd leave, but you got to. If Ryan Day leaves for the NFL, I just offer Kalen DeBoer twelve million dollars. That's unbelievable. So we'll see. By the way, I had my buddy Garrett Carr texting me this. He said, "Why shouldn't Kalen DeBoer? We we talk about Harbaugh as a candidate, uh, Ryan Day as an NFL candidate, Kalen DeBoer scheme culture wins everywhere. I don't know." So it's an interesting thought. I don't want to go on too much further. Uh, really quickly from the Texas perspective, listen, man, I don't think there's some amazing takeaway uh, other than to say that, like, Sark did it, man. They're back. Like, like you can't watch that game and think that they are they, – they, the, they have the blueprint. Now, you're not going to be this good every year. You're not going to win a national championship every year. But you talk about we've been waiting for that guy to re-elevate the entire program. Sark's it, man. They easily could have won that game. They easily could be playing Michigan for a national championship in their home state, in Houston, for a national championship. And so he's got the quarterback. We think Quinn Ewers is coming back next year. They're always going to have skilled guys. He's got the line play figured out. And I haven't looked enough at rosters next year. But look, Georgia's going to be at the top of the SEC. Alabama's going to be at the top of the SEC. But Texas is going to be right there, right? There's no reason Texas can't go into the SEC next year and win the championship in year one. Not saying they, that will happen, but I think it absolutely could. So credit to Sark, man. You know, there's been doubters, myself absolutely included. He proved them all wrong. Uh, Texas, of course, the, the the future's bright, even if things did not go well on uh, whatever it was uh, fr- uh, on Monday night. But Washington will now play Texas for a national championship, or Texas, Washington will now play Michigan for a national championship next Monday. And I'll be honest, like, I'm not going to spend too much time talking about that game right now all i'll say is top two seeds both undefeated both were doubted coming into the semifinal i think we're going to get a great game obviously the the washington passing attack that's going to be the best quarterback by far that michigan has seen all year you think about who they faced right three biggest games of the year penn state no 
uh, McCord from Ohio State, no. Jalen Milrow, much better than both of those guys, but he ain't Michael Penix. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, probably Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we'll start breaking down that game. But credit to Washington for getting the win. Washington and Michigan in Houston for a national championship. All right. I think that's it for this episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. It is, of course, our college football playoff recap. Appreciate everybody's support. Hope everybody is having a great first day back in the office. Of course, just a crazy, crazy semifinal Monday. If you're not subscribed, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure to subscribe. Make sure you're subscribed on YouTube. Uh, Crazy 2023 in YouTube. And I think 2024 is going to be even bigger. That channel is closing in on 32,000 subscribers. Appreciate everybody's support there. Other than that, I think I'm going to get out of here, man. Was up until, you know, 2 a.m. Eastern. Uh, on Fox Sports Radio, came back, did the podcast here early on Wednesday, uh, early on Tuesday, so it's time for me to go. Appreciate everybody's support. I'll be back later this week. We'll we'll figure out the taping schedule at some point. I don't know if we're going to do a Wednesday show. We'll do a Friday show. We'll we'll do at least one more episode, maybe two, before we get to the national championship. But Michigan and Washington are playing for a title. Shout-out to Torrent Craig. Shout-out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout-out to JJ Reddick, you F-head. Unblock me, bro. Shout out Pat McAfee. I like your show. You need to unblock me as well. I'll be back uh, sometime this week. Next episode, Aaron Torres